All right, well, let's go to God's Word. If you want to take out your sermon note sheet, it's inside your bulletin. It'll help you better follow along. Today, we're going to begin a four-week series called From the Beginning. And this series is going to be about God's divine design for sexuality. So I know that everybody just got nervous. Oh, my goodness, he's going to talk about this. You know, it had been my intention uh, to talk about this back in the fall. In fact, the original plan for me was we were just going to do the armor of God, and then we were going to do a series on sexuality. I feel like God wants you to know some things about this. And so that was my plan. But here's what God spoke to me. He said, I want you to just do the whole book of Ephesians first. And I, I got to be honest with you, I didn't really understand why God wanted me to do that first, but I was just like, okay, then we'll do the book of Ephesians. And after spending 24 weeks in Ephesians, I now understand the reason why. It's because sexuality is an identity issue. First thing in your note sheets, sexuality is an identity issue. In fact, if you think about this, that's why this subject is such a hot button issue in our society. It's why issues of sexuality are so deeply personal and is everything in the world to so many people because they wrap their entire identity, their entire existence around their sexuality. And so what I need you to understand right up front as we dive into this, at its core, sexuality is an identity issue. But do you know what else is an identity issue? Christianity. We learned that in the book of Ephesians, didn't we? I mean, Christianity is about a follower of Christ learning to live out their identity in him. And so as a Christian, our identity should be in Christ in every area of our life. And so what should happen is we should find our identity in Christ and then everything flows out through our identity in Christ. So let me give you a little chart that kind of helps you understand what I'm talking about. This is how our Christian life is supposed to look. It doesn't always look like this. We get it out of order. Even the best of us as Christians gets it out of order at times. But our identity should be Jesus, and then everything should flow through our identity in Christ. And so how we do our relationships should flow through our identity in Christ first. How we function in our job should go through our identity in Christ first. How we handle money, it's got to go through our identity in Christ first. How we, what we do with our gifts and talents, same thing. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to our sexuality. It, it should go through our identity in Christ before we handle this thing called sexuality. Now, what happens for a lot of times is people get this backwards. And so a lot of times what happens, go ahead and put up the next one there, is we find ourselves, go ahead, next slide. There we go. A lot of times we end up putting something else in that identity spot. Now, it doesn't have to be sexuality. It could be any one of these other things. But a lot of times we put something else in that spot. And then we just kind of want to add Jesus to the other things in our life. And so this can get out of order in anybody's life, in any Christian's life. And so if, if you find at times in your Christian journey that one of these areas is up there other than Jesus, well, what do you got to do? Well, you, you do, and go back to, go, go forward one. What you got to do is the verse we were talking about all the time throughout the armor series, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. What do we do? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every what? Thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. Okay, we say, you know what? I've got that wrong. I've got to make sure Jesus is the priority 
and everything else in my life throws through my identity, flows out through my identity in Christ. You see, I think as Christians, we sometimes have this bad habit of trying to separate particular areas of life from our spiritual life. And I, and I see this crop up in two areas in particular. The first area that I see this crop up in all the time is the area of money. Well, pastor, I don't think you should talk about money because that has nothing to do with my spiritual life. Well, not according to Jesus. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. And when it involves the heart, it's a spiritual issue. Amen? So you can't separate money from the heart. Where your money is, your heart is. And where your heart is, your money is. Therefore, how you handle your money, listen to me, is a deeply spiritual issue. Same with your sexuality. That's the second fill in the blank on your note sheet that I want you to know this morning. Sexuality is a spiritual issue. If if you don't handle your sexuality properly, it will hinder you from living out your identity in Christ. And, And when we don't live out our identity in Christ in any area of our life, that's never a good thing. And you say, well, why is that? Well, number one, because it gives the devil a foothold in your life to kill, steal, and destroy. Secondly, it it hinders our relationship with God when we don't live out our identity in Christ. It leads us away from intimacy with him, not to it. It leads us away from his intended purposes for our life, not to it. It leads us away from the blessings that he would desire to give us, not to it. And that's not what God wants for any of us. And so if sexuality is a spiritual issue, then we must talk about it. Amen? I mean, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the, spirit, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? He's talking to Christians here, right? Whom you have from God. You were not your own, for you were bought with a price. What was the price? Jesus, right? What he did on the cross for you. So, because all that's true, glorify God in your what? In your body. What I want you to get is God wants us to glorify him with our bodies, even when it comes to the area of sexuality. Now, did you catch the verse? Catch what else was in that verse that it told us about sexuality. It told us that when we don't handle our sexuality properly, not only do we sin against the Lord, but we sin against our own bodies. We'll talk more about that in this series. So all this tells us something very important. Not only is sexuality an identity issue, not only is it a deeply spiritual issue, if those two things are true, then it means sexuality is a discipleship issue. We have to be discipled in the area of sexuality. We have to be taught how it should function to glorify God. This is no different than any other area of your life. How many know when you come to Jesus, you're like, I didn't even know. I didn't even, I used to, I didn't even know, but now I know. And God's changed the way I handle my hurts and I handle my mouth and I handle my temper. How many know what I'm talking about? Those are all discipleship issues. Well, it's no different than when it comes to sexuality. We have to be discipled in this area. 
We've got to be taught how it should function to glorify God. Listen, I, I spend so much of my time as a pastor counseling people through issues in life that are rooted somehow, some way in sexual immorality. Whether it was by their own doing or whether it was caused by someone else's doing. I mean, no lie, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I have found that the majority of people's dysfunctions, heartaches, family issues, and hurts in life can be traced back to someone's sexual immorality. So don't believe the lie that sexuality is just a personal issue. Oh, it's a, it's a personal issue, all right, but it's also an identity issue, a spiritual issue, and because of that, it's a discipleship issue. Now, before we dig in and really get going, in fact, this morning is all about foundation for the series, so this is really just a big intro. Before we really get going, let me give you some foundational thoughts, thoughts that this entire series is going to rest on. I think it's important that I do this because you need to understand my intent with this series and what God wants to do with it in your life. Here's foundational thought number one, and this is going to shock some of you. You have never heard a pastor say this in your life. Here we go. Number one, God created sex to be a good gift. I think most of us grew up in churches that either didn't talk about sex or all we heard was, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and then you're married, oh, now have fun. And so because of that, a lot of us, it got ingrained in our mind that sex is something dirty and sex is something bad. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, sex is awesome. Only a few of you caught that. This is where you're supposed to say amen. Let's try this again. Sex is awesome. You guys were a little too excited with that amen. It's wonderful. And God wants you to know that. Because it was all his idea. He created it. So he knows how it works best. And so because that's true, we need to have this conversation about this in church. Dallas theological professor Howard Hendricks said this. We should not be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. So we need to talk about this. Here's foundational number truth that you got to get for the series, and it's this. The Bible will be our guide. Listen, if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, then we're just not going to be able to fully agree or see eye to eye on this issue. I understand that. I get that. Now, for those of you who do believe the Bible is the word of God, I want you to have a good, thorough understanding of what it says from cover to cover on this subject. Because here's what I'm finding increasingly as a pastor. I'm finding that Christians have less and less of a biblical worldview and more and more of a worldly worldview when it comes to this subject. See, too many of us have based our, our whole theology of sexuality on Bible verses taken out of context that someone on social media posted to try to leverage their own personal belief. Too many Christians' theology looks more like Facebook and Hollywood and popular culture than it does the Bible. Because you've got to understand, the world throws so much at us, and because that's true, we have to learn to not only renew our minds, but keep our minds renewed 
if we're going to live out our identity in Christ when it comes to this area of sexuality. Because the world has no problem telling us how we should pattern our life in this area. Remember the verse that we also looked at in the Ephesians armor series? In fact, we, we looked at this verse several times. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Does it matter what we do with our bodies? Yes, it does. It matters to God. Watch this, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Once again, your sexuality and how you handle it is a spiritual issue because it's something you do in your what? In your body. Now watch this. Do not be conformed to this world. Oh, the world will tell you how to conform yourself to this area. Don't be conformed. Don't listen to the world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you will discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you understand you will never be able to get your mind renewed or keep it renewed? How many know you got to keep it renewed? Yes. Without the word of God being a constant guide in your life. You have to keep yourself grounded in the word of God in this area or get this, the world will disciple you for you. And the devil will deceive you when it comes to this area of sexuality. Because the world is his kingdom, amen? You're called to be part of a different kingdom with different values. I want you to have a biblical mindset on this issue. I want you to know how to disciple your children in this area. So here's what I want you to understand. Hollywood, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Fox News and CNN will not be our source Amen. for this series. The Bible will. Yes. Here's foundational thought number three. The tone for the series will be gracious and not angry. You know, we're not used to that in the day and age we live in, are we? We've been conditioned to fight for our rights and for our views at all costs. Even if it means putting people under our feet to further our cause. I have no intention of picking a fight over this issue. Although I am fully aware a fight might come to my door just because I preached on the subject. So church, I need to ask you a favor, no matter where you fall, on what side of the spectrum you fall on, I'm going to ask you a favor through this series. Please don't send me links and quotes and articles and YouTube videos you want me to watch because I'm not gonna, I'm just not, I don't have time to engage you with it. Please don't bring me petitions and talk to me about marches and try to get our church to go fight our legislators. Now listen, I'm not against being involved in the democratic processes, okay? I love that we live in a democracy where we can speak up but I will not allow this church to go down those roads as long as I'm your pastor. We don't seek to put people under our feet, but to come alongside them in their sin and love them and patiently guide them and lead them to Jesus and the best that he has for them. That's the vision of this church. If you're not okay with that, you're probably in the wrong church. You know, 22 years ago when I became the pastor of this church, no lie, God specifically told me to root out politics in this church and keep it centered on the gospel and reaching people. Yes. 
in 22 years, I have never wavered in obedience to that, and I don't plan to change that now. Amen? Amen. Now, let me just say this, because I know there are all kinds of people in this room. And this is a very, for some of us, this is a more personal subject than it is for some other people in this room. If you struggle with sexual addiction, I want you to know you're welcome here at Hope Fellowship. If you have past sexual mistakes, missteps in your past, I want you to know you're welcome here at Hope Fellowship. If you are struggling with homosexuality, I want you to know you are welcome here at Hope Fellowship. If you are wrestling with your gender, gender identity, I want you to know that you are welcome here at Hope Fellowship. If you are currently living out of wedlock together with someone, I want you to know that you are welcome here at Hope Fellowship. I want you to know we love you, we welcome you, but because we love Jesus and want his very best for your life, we will seek to lead you into living out your identity in him when it comes to your sexuality. So understand, for some of you, that's going to involve a mind shift. It's going to involve repentance. It's going to involve obedience to Christ. Let me say this as well. If you have suffered some sort of sexual trauma or abuse, you are welcome at Hope Fellowship. Oh, you're in the right place. We see it over and over. God brings broken people here to find healing in Jesus. It's just what happens here. You've heard me say this. This is the messiest Imperfect, perfect church you've ever seen. Because it's full of real people finding hope in Jesus. If you've suffered abuse, we want you to know that we will love you and walk through you and be by you as you pursue your healing and your identity in Christ. Now that leads to the final thought, and it's this. Our desire is for freedom and healing. That's what I desire for all of us in this series. And I believe it's what God desires for us as well. Now, with the rest of our time today, we're going to start with what Jesus had to say about this issue. Now, there's this popular idea, there's this popular myth in our society right now that says Jesus was silent on this issue. And usually what comes along with that statement is another statement that says something like this. Jesus said we just need to love one another, and so as long as there is love, then it doesn't matter what people do with their sexuality. That's a lie. That's a misunderstanding and biblical ignorance. Oh, Jesus said we're to love one another, but he said we should love one another in obedience to God the Father. Jesus very clearly addressed the issue of sexuality in the Gospels. I'm not talking about, I think most of us know what the Bible says. Most of us have done enough research and and, and we look from Genesis to Revelation and we go, we know the Bible says this in this book, but what did Jesus say? What did he say in the red letters in the New Testament? Well, if you understand the Bible, right, you've heard me say this, all the words of the Bible are actually the words of Jesus. But let's talk about the red letters just for a moment. Jesus addressed this issue. And so that's where we're going to start. He wasn't silent about it. And so what does Jesus have to say? This is going to set the foundation for the rest of the series. Now, let me give you three things that he had to say that 
that the, the rest of this thing will flow through. Here's the first thing Jesus said about this issue. He said that sexuality has a divine design. Number one, sexuality has a divine design. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 19. In this passage, Jesus is having a heated discussion with the religious leaders. Uh, they don't see a need for a savior like him because they think that they're doing good. And so what happens is, is they took the law of God and then they made categories and they were like, well, I'm in this category and, and, and that person's in that category. And it gave them license not to love people and not to treat people with respect and see people as enemies. And, and so that, how many know that's what religious people do? And so that's what the religious leaders are doing. And they're having this discussion about marriage and things of divorce and all those kind of things. And he responds back to, responds to them by pointing back to Genesis chapter 1. Look at it. He says to them, have you not read that he, talking about God, who created them from the beginning? Now, in case you were wondering where I got the title for the series, there it is. I got it directly from the lips of Jesus. He who created them from the beginning, watch this, made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus here is pointing back to a truth that's stated in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. What he is telling us is that sexuality has a divine design. Okay, notice, God created them male and female for a reason, Jesus says. And so here's the question I got for you. Do you believe sexuality has a divine design? Do you believe that it was designed by a divine designer. Because if you do, that's, that's a game changer. And this conversation starts to get way easier. Now, if you don't believe that, if you believe we're all here by chance because of some evolutionary process, then it makes sense that you would be open to whatever in this area. The very first words of the Bible tell us this. Look at this, Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, what does it say? Go for it, Mark one. What does it say? God created. God created the heavens and the earth. He created. So let me pose the question to you once again. Do you believe in a divine designer? Because if you do, then it means there's a reason for the design of the designer with everything. Now here's why that's so important. Because belief determines behavior. You know, sometimes we as Christians get so upset with people who don't believe that God created. Why do we get so upset with that? Of course they're going to believe different about life and sexuality. Of course they're going to believe just live what seems best to you and what your body is telling you. As Christians, do you know what we understand and know and believe? We believe that God created. Yes. And if he created, that means there is a divine design to the what and the why he created it. Yes. You understand nobody creates something without a design or a purpose for it. 
It's no different than us. I mean, we're created in the image of God. Do you understand what we are in a lot of ways? I mean, we can't create exactly like God, but we're creators. It's no different with God. There's a, there's a, there's a method to it. There's a why and a reason for it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is actually the first of two Genesis verses that Jesus quoted back in that one we looked at in Matthew 19 just a moment ago. Look what it says in Genesis 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. What did he create them? Male and female, he created them. So what we learn is God created two types of human beings, male and female. And science shows you that's true. Here's what I want you to understand. Both of them fully created in God's image. Both of them of equal value and importance before God, but each created different from one another, even when it comes to your bodies. Do you understand that was on purpose and with divine design in mind? For what design? Well, the other scriptures that Jesus quoted back in Matthew chapter 19, that's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Let's go to it. Look at it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You say, what is that saying? It's, this is before sin. So understand, God created this thing called sex before sin. I mean, it's not like God created these people and then turned his back and the angels, he come back and the angels like, you ain't gonna believe what they're doing. God's like, I know. Isn't it awesome? Do you understand what we're talking about here? This is talking about marriage. Your sexuality was designed with marriage in mind. Two, becoming one flesh. This means more than we said some vows and we're now a married couple. It means we've become one through the act of sexual union. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but in Jewish thoughts, sexual union is synonymous with being married. It's, it's on that high of a level. It means we become one. Now, let, let me say something that's important. This doesn't mean you have to be married to fulfill God's plan for your life if you're a male or female. Okay, the New Testament tells us that God at times will call a man or a woman to live a celibate single life for his purposes and for his glory. And do you know who the ringleader of that type of life was? Jesus, right? Jesus never got married. So if Jesus was single, single people, it's okay for you to be single, amen? But what I want you to understand is this. Your sexuality as a male or female was designed to be used in the context of a marriage relationship by divine design. That's the reason why males and females are not the same biologically. You understand that was not an accident. That was created by divine design, get this, from the beginning. So what I want you to understand is sexuality and sex existed before sin, sin entered the world. And here's the deal. It was all God's idea. And God was standing there with Adam and Eve saying, this is very good. This is awesome. But something happened that complicated sexuality and sex for us. Anybody know what happened? Genesis chapter three, right? 
Genesis chapter 3 happened. And I think we all know the story. Adam and Eve were tempted and they sinned. And you understand when they sinned, it literally broke everything. It broke man's relationship with God. It broke man's relationship with one another. You understand why relationships are so difficult is because sin broke everything. I mean, man's relationship, even with himself, became broken. How many of you can say, I have trouble with my own self, yet alone any other people? Why? Because you are broken by the curse of sin. In fact, all of creation became broken. This explains to you, I mean, you got to understand this. This is why there are natural disasters and famines and earthquakes. Why? Because sin didn't just break man, it broke all of creation. It doesn't work the way it was originally designed to work. And that includes your sexuality. That too became broken for all of mankind. I mean, that's a, that's a very important theological truth that you have to understand. Because of sin, we have all become broken to one degree or another sexually. This is why we all struggle with sexual issues. Think about this. This is why our sinful flesh lusts and covets and wants to engage in sexual things outside of marriage. This explains why even though you may be happily married and you love your spouse dearly, you still struggle with sexual thoughts and temptations about other people. Why is that? Because we are broken sexually because of sin. This is the same reason why some people struggle with their sexual identity as well. Because they're born into this world broken by sin. So let me just say this. If you're here today and you struggle with your gender identity, I want you to know we believe you 100%. You're not crazy. You're not abnormal. What you are is broken sexually like the rest of us because of the curse of sin. Listen, we may all be sexually broken in different ways, but rest assured, everyone in this room is broken sexually to one degree or another, including me and you. Listen, I know there are all kinds of people in this world that would want to encourage you to Well, just identify by what you feel you are rather than how you've been biologically designed to be by God. As a church, it's our commitment with lots of love and compassion to acknowledge that the tension you're living in is very real. But no, we will also gently and consistently keep pointing you to find your identity in Christ. Do you know why? Because there's nothing more fulfilling and purposeful in life than being aligned with God according to his divine design for your life. Everything else that you try to put your identity in will will disappoint you. Everything you try to put your identity in other than Jesus will crumble in your life. The only thing that will last, the only thing that will fulfill you ultimately is to find your identity in I run into a lot of Christians that, well, I tried the Jesus thing and I don't know if it works. And it isn't that it doesn't work. It's just that they weren't willing to put their identity in Christ. And so they've come to the conclusion 
that Christianity doesn't work because they've never fully put their identity in Christ. Because when somebody does that, you know what happens? They're like, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. This is one of the reasons why some of us are struggling with Christianity in general, because there are too many other things that we're putting first before our identity in Christ. Now, here's what I want you to know. Believe it or not, God is for us sexually. God is for you. He's not against you. That's why God's divine design for sexuality involves marriage. One man and one woman in covenant before him. Jesus said God created them, male and female, that the two would become one. The world will tell you Jesus didn't say anything. No, Jesus said that's the definition of marriage. That's the divine design echoed in Genesis and all throughout the rest of the Bible. Can I, can I just say this? Because some of you, you, you believe the lie of culture. The Bible is not vague or confusing about this issue in any way. It is crystal clear. Yes, it is. It's God's desire for sex to be reserved for marriage only. So here's what I want you to get. The prohibitions that God puts on sexual things in the scripture is for your benefit. It's not because God is trying to make your life miserable. He's actually trying to protect you. That's his heart. Those prohibitions in scripture uh, are like the manufacturer's warnings that you get on everything you buy. How many of you have noticed everything you buy, there's just labels about, you're like, that should be common sense. Why did it? I found this on a chainsaw. Look at this. In case you were wondering, you don't want to do that. Listen, warning labels are designed for a reason to protect you. It's the same with the prohibitions that God puts on sexual things. In the Bible, he wants to protect you. He's for you. Listen, in the New Testament, you see the words sexual immorality used all throughout the New Testament, really throughout the whole Bible. But in the New Testament, uh, look, look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. We looked at it earlier. Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. Now that word sexual immorality is really only one word in the original Greek language. It's the Greek word porneia. It's actually where we get our English word pornography from. What I want you to understand is anytime the Bible talks about sexual immorality, what it means is any sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. That's what it means. So let me give you an illustration to help you better understand what sexual morality is when you read it in your Bible. How many of you have a drunk junk drawer in your kitchen? And you open that thing and there's just all kinds of things in there. Well, that's how you can think of this word sexual morality in the Bible. Sexual morality in the Bible encompasses all kinds of sexual sins. It can involve pornography, lust, adultery, fornication, right? Sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, I mean, I can go on and on and on, but any sexual activity outside of marriage is considered sexual immorality. So, the very first thing that Jesus said very clearly was that sexuality has a divine design. 
So when people say, well, Jesus never addressed the, that issue, that's not true. In the beginning, what did Jesus say? God created them, male and female, that they should become what? One flesh. It's divine design. Now, here's the second thing that Jesus said about sexuality. I'm going to move through these next two things really quick. They're meant to be quick. We'll get into more things. Second thing Jesus said was this, and this may shock you, and I've already alluded to it, but here's the deal. Everyone is sexually broken. Why? Once again, we talked about it in the last point, because of the curse of sin, because that's true. We all wrestle with sexual brokenness to one degree or another. And you say, well, pastor, that's not true. I'm married. I'm not living out of wedlock with anyone. I'm not gay. I've never cheated on my spouse. You know what's interesting is most people that want me to preach on this subject want me to preach it to someone else. Pastor, preach it to the world. Pastor, I need, we need to preach this to the news network and the political parties. I need you to preach this to a friend or a family member because they need to hear this. If that was your first thought, when you saw the, when you got your note sheet out and you saw the subject, I've got some news for you. It means you're self-righteous. And you're no different than the religious leaders of Jesus's day. Once again, what they would do is they would look at the law of God. And, and I've already said this. They would say, well, I'm doing this well. And they would forget about the rest of the law of God. And they would put people in categories. And then they would give them permission not to love people. You find yourself self-righteous in this area. Making lists and putting people into categories. You're no different than the religious leaders of Jesus today, and that's a sobering reality. Look what Jesus said to these religious leaders in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, you have heard it said. He's going to quote from the Old Testament. In fact, he's going to pull out one of the big ten. You know what the big ten are? One of the ten commandments, right? He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You know what they were going? They're going, that ain't us. We're good. We're married. We've never cheated on our spouse. So they're feeling pretty smug. And look what Jesus says next. But I say to you that, what's the word? Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the opposite would be true as well. Every woman that looks at a man lustfully has committed adultery with him in her heart. What Jesus is saying is you self-righteous religious leaders think you have it all together when it comes to your sexuality. But you are, just because you're married but, but, and haven't committed adultery, but you don't have it together because you're violating the law of God all the time when you lust in your heart. Everyone struggles with this. Am I wrong? Everyone. Look to, look, look to your neighbor next to you. I know you think they have it all together, but they struggle with sexual temptation and sexual thoughts. Husbands, look at your wife. Are you ready for this? They struggle with sexual temptation that doesn't involve you. You know why? 
because we're all broken to one degree or another in this area. So let me share with you a thought about this series. Maybe what God wants to do in this series is deal with your heart, not the world's. Maybe what God wants to do in this series is not deal with the heart of a family member or a friend or your politician, but your heart. Maybe this series is more about your heart and your own sexuality. Maybe this series is about uprooting self-righteousness in this area of your life. Maybe this is about you learning to treat people with dignity and respect and love that are different than you. Maybe it's learning to be a little bit more like Jesus, walking in grace, but yet walking in truth and being okay with that tension. Maybe the biggest thing you're going to learn in this series is how to have more compassion and understanding and love for people that are struggling with gender idea issues in their life. Maybe the best thing that will come out of this series is not that a sermon from Pastor Josh would change America, but it would change you. And it would change this church. And it would flow out into people that are broken that walk through these doors. That find people that says, I know you're a mess, but we're going to love you anyway. And we're going we're to lead you and walk with you and be patient with you and help you find your identity in Jesus. Everyone needs grace and help when it comes to sexual brokenness. I mean, that's really what Jesus was saying. That is part of the scriptures. God gave the law to his people to show them their need for a savior. And what God's people did is they picked which ones they liked and said, I'm doing good and forgot about the rest. And they forgot that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs grace. Everyone needs the help of Jesus to get this area right, including you and me. But the good news is, is and this is why Jesus came. Because we're all broken. We're all slaves to sin. And he came to set anyone who would look to him free from being in the bondage of sin. So I've got good news for you. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, there's hope for you. And his name is Jesus. Yes. Now that leads me to the last thing Jesus says about sexuality and that I'm going to draw your attention to and I'll be done. Sexual immorality is a hard issue. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart, you see that? This is why it's a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue, right? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. What else? Remember, that's that junk drawer of anything outside of marriage. How brilliant was God to define it that way? Because he knows what we would do. We make lists and categories. You see, the world tells us that the function of our sexuality is something that we have no choice in. That it's just who you are and you can't help it. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, 
anything that is sexually immoral, according to the Bible, the Bible says is a sin. And that means it's an issue of the heart. The world wants to take things that are sexually immoral and put them on the same level as the color of your skin. Listen, the color of your skin is something that you cannot change, nor should you want to change. God made your skin color beautiful just the way it is. By, get this, divine design. God also made you male and female by design, divine design. How you use your sexuality as a male or female is an issue of the heart. Jesus says that very plainly in this verse. So the good news is this. If it's a heart issue, then there's hope. Because the Jesus that we love and serve that died for us specializes in cleansing hearts and healing hearts and setting hearts in order to glorify him and to live in victory. That's why Jesus said this at the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus came into the world and he had just got done praying and fasting and he's, he's ready to start his earthly ministry. What is the first thing he's gonna say? What is the first text of the Bible he's gonna preach? Well, he goes into the synagogue and he opens the book of Isaiah and he reads this and he says, this is what I've come to do. Watch this. Luke chapter four, verse, go ahead and forward one, guys. Go ahead and forward. He said this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What's the good news? You don't have to be bound by sin. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You see that? That's eventually where sin will lead, no matter how good you think it is. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight of the blind. What's that saying? Recovery from brokenness to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. Listen, the Lord's not trying to beat you up. The Lord's trying to bring grace into your life. That's what Jesus wants to do. So would you bow your heads with me in this ser- as we end this part one of this series? Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you have given us to be grounded in your word, that it would guide us and direct us into all that you would have for us, that we may glorify you with our bodies in this life. And Lord, I realize there are many dealing with issues and tensions about this subject. And Lord, I pray that we would not only come through this series with a good understanding, with a renewed mind, but we would come through with cleansed hearts and loving hearts and hearts that are free of self-righteousness, that we may be effective witnesses for you in this lost and broken world. Lord, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Be with us. Thank you, God, for your word. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen. Well, now that I've offended everybody, I'm going to invite you back next week. And you don't want to miss it. Some things I think God wants to do in your life. We'll talk more. I'm going to ask our prayer partners if they go ahead and come at this time. We're going to pray over you. If you need prayer in any way, we'd love to pray over you. Ask the Lord to work in your life. The rest of you, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Move the